Welcome to What Should I Do With My Life? Figuring it out from those who seem to have it all figured out. I'm your host, Stephanie Horowitz. When's the last time you stopped and asked yourself, what am I doing with my life? Why am I doing this? Do I even like this? Join me as we hear the inspiring stories of real people to find out what they did and are doing with their lives. Are they satisfied? Would they have done anything differently? Maybe through these stories, we will figure out how to bring more meaning and passion in our day-to-day. Hi everyone, I hope you're well. Just want to make sure that if you're in the U.S., you know you need to get out or stay in and vote. Go to vote.org to register to vote, request an absentee ballot, and more. Now, today's episode. Today we're being joined by the amazing Maya Ozeri. Maya keeps it real. An Israeli native, Maya's passion for people and athletics began at a very early age. She played on Israel's national women's soccer team, moved to America as a student athlete, and has worked in the college athletics world for over 10 years. Maya has a PhD in organizational leadership, and she's currently the executive director of the Cooper Athletics Leadership Program at Georgetown. In this episode, Maya talks about how her experiences as an athlete in Israel led her to advocate for equity for women in sports. She discusses team dynamics and the secret ingredients needed for a championship team, and talks about how she helps student athletes thrive and succeed in her current role. Let's do this. Hi, Maya. Hi, Stephanie. What's up? <laughs> it's great to be here. <laughs> Thanks for inviting me. I, I appreciate it. I'm really excited to have you on the podcast. We've known each other for a very, very long time. I have many memories of when you were doing Maccabi. I think you were representing England. And you stayed at our house in Michigan, and I was cheering you on. Just some nostalgia but we can really just you were an itty bitty kid I was we both are a bit older now wiser (laughs) more mature thank you so much for being here Maya Ozeri Um, we're just gonna dive in and go for it because you have an amazing story to share so we're gonna kick it off (laughs) haha pun intended and in one that was so cheesy I feel like I don't know how old am I 50 in one sentence Maya can you please share what it is that you do one sentence it's tough but i'm gonna try um i think what i try and do is create spaces for people to be who they are and to find their passions and their interests and to explore themselves that's that's a really nice way of putting it and we're gonna Mm -hmm. unpack that so everyone really understands what you do and what led you to the path you're on today so taking a step back growing up i know that Soccer was a big part of your life. The sports theme is big and Maya's story, everyone. So can you just share a bit about growing up, the sport of soccer, your passion? What did that mean to you? Yeah, thanks, Stephanie. So the sport of soccer um, is a sport that's significant in my life and, and part of my story because of kind of where it's led me and the opportunities that it's opened up for me. So I, so I grew up in Israel, born and raised in Israel. Um, from a small moshav, grew up playing a lot of different sports. And in Israel, organized sports for women is a little behind where maybe what people in the U.S. know of organized sports for girls and women and the opportunities. So I grew up playing a lot of different sports on the moshav and within the community, but never really an organized sport um, because of limited access to opportunities. And my family moved to England. So we lived in London um, for a couple of years. Stephanie mentioned playing in the Maccabi game. So funny, mm-hmm. funny enough that my story is part of it was um, playing for Great Britain 
Maccabi games um, <laughs> that, that happened to be, you know, in the Michigan area and then uh, staying with your family. But when we lived in, in England, um, I was able to actually play organized soccer for the first time. So I, I played some basketball, I played tennis, I played a lot of different sports growing up. I was very active um, and then played more organized soccer when we got to England and then came back to Israel. And right around that time, when I was about 14, 15, Israel was starting a women's soccer league. The way that they started it, it was actually with the national team first. Um, so there was just tryouts and they were looking for players to play on the national team. And then they started a league and got into soccer in that way. So, uh, you know, growing up in Israel, the opportunities, I think, even to, to get involved with sports come about differently. Like you have to be someone that's seeking out those type of opportunities. It's not necessarily something that's just kind of around the corner. There's clubs and, you know, organized opportunities. So, so that's soccer for me was an opportunity to express myself in a different way. Um, I was lucky enough to be, you know, selected for the U19 national team and then to play on the women's national team in Israel and travel um, with the national team. I mean, to, 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 to today, that's probably the greatest honor of kind of my, my life is just representing Israel on the national team and being able to, you know, stand in a, wearing a uniform with the Israeli uh, national flag on your chest and like singing the national anthem. And beyond that, it also created opportunities for me to get an education. So I came to the U.S. I was really passionate about soccer. And at some point, probably because of kind of having family in the U.S. and always looking over to the U.S. and saying like, wow, like, People, people over, overseas, over in the U.S. are really taking this women's soccer um, very seriously. I, I grew up in an era that, you know, the, the U.S. 99ers team, so that really um, legendary team with Mia Hamm and Julie Foudy and Michelle Akers won the 99 World Cup, where um, in the U.S. there were 70, 80, 90,000 people that were going and watching games. And I remember watching that on TV growing up in Israel as a teenager and saying like, wow, like that happens. Like people are going and paying to go and watch women athletes. And to me, that was inspiring. So when I had an opportunity after completing the, the military service, um, I came over to the U.S. and was a student athlete for four years and um, had an opportunity to get an education through that. So sport itself and then soccer has, has played a pretty significant role in you know, in opportunities, I would say more than anything. There's so much I want to ask. There's so much to say. <laughs> um, I really do remember you as you were like a soccer celeb. You really were to us. And you were on, you said you were on Israel's national team. And I'm just wondering at a young age, right? You said you were on the under 19 team. So was that a really big deal? Did you, did people know who you were and what were some of the challenges? I imagine it was very intense training and scheduling and were you full-time what does it look like when you're on the national soccer team are you full-time training and playing soccer and traveling for games mm -hmm. yeah I, th I think it probably looks differently in different countries and different places um i think i was always um a, a celeb amongst my family so stephanie yes. that's the reason you thought are we all my you know to to be honest actually um back then women's sports is still behind in Israel, um, even right. though it's getting better and, and more money and resources are being invested in the sport of soccer and, and other sports. Um, but I'm pretty up to date with the sport of soccer. I would say for me, when I was playing, so I played on the U19 team and then I played on that team for three years. And then I was also 
um, at the same time on the women's national team for a couple of years and had an opportunity to play on both teams oh, wow. um, together. You know, I wish I could say, yeah, I walked around and people could, you know, knew me and people knew my teammates and, you know, they would see us in the newspaper. But the reality was and, and still is that women's sport doesn't get the attention or the exposure that, you know, nearly the exposure that men's sports gets in Israel um, and in the United States. I mean, we could be pretty open about that. So for me, I would say, you know, one, it didn't come from a place of even ever thinking about whatever status might be associated with being an athlete. It was more a way of expressing myself, a way of an inner drive and having in intrinsic motivation to wanting to do it rather than anything else. And I would, you know, it's funny because looking back, we would, we would have like a big win or maybe a big loss. And you would think like, oh, there's going to be a lot of kind of um, a lot of attention to that. And um, you'd come home and I mean, your family would know about it. And that's kind of about it um, mm -hmm. because there wasn't a lot of attention to what the national team did. It has gotten a lot better. But for me, when I was growing up, it was really about um, yeah training a lot. So, so we played with the national team. You would train training. We, we had training camps so we would go and spend a couple of days um, together and, and do like two a days, which means two practices a day. You know, we would travel anytime that, that we had a, a game or a tournament, um, you know, overseas, we would get together before the flight and before that. But um, it was pretty regular. I mean, it was, you know, training, practicing pretty regularly before that. A lot of really positive, you know, memories when I think of that time. Um, but, but at that point, it was really balancing school. Like I was a high school student and then I was in the right. military during that time as well with a, a, an athlete, like the status of an athlete. So I was allowed to continue to play while I was in the military. Um, but it was a lot of just, you know, trying to do a lot of things at once, which yes. probably is still the case for me. <laughs> yeah. And you obviously, as you said, were a student athlete and that dictates a lot of what you went on to do and are doing now, which we'll talk about in a bit. And before that, there are two questions I really wanted to ask. First, as you were talking about how Israel was and still is a bit behind when it comes to women's opportunities in sports. And I understand that you were advocating or lobbying the Knesset, being pretty proactive in trying to make changes in those opportunities in Israel. So can you just talk a bit about what you did? Sure. So back then, and I, I would say, you know, a lot of what we, we were focused on 10, 20 years ago is coming up again and again now. And, and I'm really proud that things are moving forward more, you know, the, the, in Israel, more resources, I mentioned this, but more resources have been put forward towards um, women's sports and women's soccer, but there's still a lot of issues um, that are happening right now. And a lot of really good people are working to, to change it and advance women's sports, understanding that, you know, sports is a certain lens to society and, and, the way we think about it is sports at times is a reflection of society. So advancements mm -hmm. within sport for people to be able to see um, women in role model capacities is really significant for people. I mean, there, there's a lot kind of out there and a lot that I could say about that. For me, you know, when I was in high school and again in the military service, um, I was looking around me and I was thinking it was more about the equity and inclusion of us as women athletes in comparison to maybe the our male counterparts. So at the time, I mean, we were wearing handy down like training clothes, you know, mm -hmm. and workout clothes. And um, before I came to the U.S., I had never actually worn a 
um, a jersey or, you know, a, a, a kit, like a soccer kit mm. that was um, fit for women. I'd mm. never, I mean, that wasn't a thing. I'd never seen like a pink cleat or a cleat that was designed for a women, woman's foot before mm. I came over to the U.S. And I'm not saying that that's not to anybody's uh, fault. The reality, though, is the U.S. is more advanced with that type of stuff, right? There's gear and outfits that, that are specifically for women. And we were growing up at a time that, you know, that just didn't exist. So I would say what, we, what I did with some of my friends and, you know, teammates and colleagues back then was actually kind of lobby and go to a few different people within the Knesset and Israel to see if we could, um, you know, advocate for more resources. So really it became about money. Like it became about travel expenses, about missing a day of work and getting expenses for that. I mean, it was really foundational elements that, that we knew the numbers that the men were getting. And um, we knew that it was, it was so far from what we were getting. Um, yet we both teams were representing the national team. So at that point, it was really just trying to get people on board that women's sports mattered, that, that the Israeli women's national team mattered, that the women's soccer league mattered. I think a lot has changed, um, but also there's some still, there's some foundational elements there that relate to how people view gender roles. I think that, you know, have really held people back to. Absolutely. And I think it makes a lot of sense that you would look outward and maybe look at coming to America to study and be a student athlete or, you know, keep playing soccer because you're seeing, oh, this is how women are being treated and this is the kind of respect and how it's positioned in America. And it's way more advanced, as you said, than it was in Israel. So I think yeah. that's really interesting. Um, were you yeah, I think sometimes, Stephanie, to, to that point, I think sometimes you have to see it to believe it, right? So for me, I, I had family... Um, and still have family in the U.S. and kind of grew up coming over to the U.S., knew, knew you and your family. And mm -hmm. I think that sometimes you have to, again, like you, you have to see representation to believe that there are opportunities. Like I, I, I don't know if I could have had that vision um, without necessarily seeing people do it before me. But seeing that made me think, okay, well, it can be done. But, but there were some real policy. And I pretty quickly, I think that's one of the things that really helped me is pretty quickly I realized that it wasn't just about people wanting to do good, but it was about ch creating policies and changing the way um, things were being, decisions were being made. So I realized pretty quickly that the United States, things didn't, didn't just happen. It was through the passing of Title IX that forced um, universities and colleges to actually give equitable resources to women, for example, um, in sports and other things that Title IX um, relate to. But, you know, in Israel and other places in the world, like unless policies are, are being changed um, to create equity and inclusion, things don't actually change for the long run, right? Mm -hmm. Like there, there might be some good people who are trying to do good things, but things need to change from a system, from a system standpoint to actually right. uh, make things happen. So, so that's one thing that I think pretty early on, I, I realized, like I understood that there was a bigger picture here and I think that I, real, I and my teammates at the time and friends that were kind of working on this were thinking, okay, well, this might not be for us. This might be for, you know, kids that, that are growing up playing right now um, and that could be inspired maybe by us, you know, right. which is really cool. Like right now in Israel, there are leagues from kids to juniors to, you know, seniors. And that didn't exist when I was growing up. I've been listening to a lot of Hamilton lately and they sing a lot about legacy. And I think that's a huge part of it, that it's maybe not something you yourself 
experienced or will get to experience, but you know that future generations will because of something that you advocated for or worked hard for. So I think that's super commendable. Maya is really modest, everyone. So just let me, let me <laughs> brag about her because she's not going to do it herself. So I will. I'm wondering after being exposed to the culture in America and how it was for women's sports, did that inspire you to say, oh, I want to be a professional athlete through my adulthood? Was that something you were striving for? I think in some capacity, yes. Um, and and or at some point, I think, yes, I, I was thinking I want to be a professional athlete. Pretty quickly, um, I realized my strengths probably lay, you know, were probably elsewhere. Um, and I realized that impact, I think I was always thinking of like, what, what is my role? And I've, I continue to think this way, like, what is my role? Where, where can I have the greatest impact? How can I make a difference? And I realized that my difference probably wasn't in playing. Um, it probably wasn't in coaching. It probably wasn't just in the sport of soccer, even though I love soccer. I still watch soccer. I follow everything. I still follow the Israeli soccer league, um, men and women, which always makes my parents kind of laugh. You know, so I think that for me, it was less about being a professional athlete. It was actually thinking, okay, well, how could I make a difference on professional sports or within college sports once I was introduced to college sports and the system or a system that combines athletics and academics? Like I thought that was amazing. Like I could get, I, I could get a degree and, and get an education while I was playing a really high level soccer. I thought there was nothing better than that. Like that was, that was a dream come true uh, mm-hmm. to be able to do those two things together. So I think I found a way of, again, using kind of the the participation in sports and loving sports, you know, just in a different path. Yeah. And you ultimately ended up studying psychology, but you did specialize in sports and exercise psychology. You went on to get your PhD in organizational leadership. And it always, to me, looks like you're kind of mixing a few interests and a few passions where you're taking the sports element, as you said, and then the impact. And you're clearly maybe... It's not obvious to everyone, but Maya's very good with people. I trust her. I feel like I can just vent to Maya now and cry to her and she'd take care of me. That's just how I feel. How did you realize that that was the path? So you said you wanted something more impactful. So how did you know? Did you know right away when you started studying psychology, what kind of work you would want to do? Or you were just kind of experimenting? Yeah, I think I, think I always knew that I wanted to work with people. Let me actually say this differently. I think I've always focused on what are my strengths? What are my passions? What are my values? And then how do I combine all of those? So I have an undergraduate in psychology, a master's degree in sport and exercise psychology. So the transition from one to the next was pretty natural. I was an athlete. I felt, you know, I was an athlete. Part of my identity is being an athlete. So I'm competitive. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I like working with people. Like I didn't, I didn't choose to play an individual sport. Like I chose to play a team sport where Mm -hmm. uh, we, we have a huddle and we, we care about each other and we take care of each other and so forth. And I think with, even with my kind of education, I I've always just been curious. Like I've been interested in learning about people and how people interact and how people operate. And then in, in, in that sense, I've also been interested in peak performance. So like, how do people perform at their best? Like what makes the difference between a win and a loss? Um, what does success mean to people? I have a lot of questions. I think you do too. I think that's probably why um, we connect. And I found, you know, a way, a professional and uh, educational kind of path that combined that, combined my curiosity and asking questions and wanting to learn and also like liking being kind of dynamic and meeting people and connecting with people in this way. And then pursuing a, a doctoral 
program in organizational leadership was very similar. Like at that point, I'd been uh, working for about 10 years um, and, and was, have been really curious about, it kind of moved away from the curiosity about the individual person to the curiosity about like systems and organizational culture and like what, what makes some people really thrive in certain environments? What makes some teams operate really at a really, really high level? Like what does that look like? And I've and been able to- some secrets? <laughs> secrets about peak performance? Well, yeah, that's not illegal, <laughs> but <laughs> no, I'm just actually, I'm really curious. Some findings. So you were saying an all-star team or they work really great together. Yeah. I, I would figure some of it has to do with communication. What are some of the secrets for these teams that you've researched or studied or learned about and you're applying it to kind of the work you're doing? Yeah. What, what makes them succeed? Yeah. So, I mean, this is, this is, these are the conversations I love having. So I'll, I'm thinking immediately, immediately of two examples. So one example is actually an example that's kind of close to home. So I work with our men's soccer um, team at Georgetown and the, our men's soccer team won a national championship just uh, last year. So fall of 2019, uh, first national championship, the Georgetown men's soccer has won. It was a big deal. They had been in the pursuit for probably the last 10 years um, and finally won it. And from observing them and just kind of being there in different moments in that season, I think the one thing that really stands out to me about a team like that, right, that, that achieves kind of the ultimate win, like the, the, mm -hmm. they, they won everything. So a team like that, like what really stands out with to me is that the team members always had kind of the mission. They always had that team goal at mind. Like that was their top priority was to win as a team. And what that resulted in was they, they all made small sacrifices along the way. So they each recognized that at times I might have to play a different role. Mm -hmm. I might have to be on the bench and cheer really loud, or I might have to be on the field in a position that I might not be as comfortable with, but that's what the team needs. So it was always about like the team winning. It was always about, okay, I, I'm struggling right now, but I know what we are trying to do together. And that sacrifice and that kind of understanding of role and supporting each other was really impactful. And, and it showed up in many different ways. Like this team was just had an unbelievable season. And I think from the outside, sometimes we look at um, teams, even at work, like you see a team that's really fu functioning at a really high level. And you think like, wow, like they just have everything like together. They love each other. They're hanging out after and going to trivia at night. And it must be so fun to work on their team. But what we don't notice with those teams or what you might not see with those teams is that there are daily decisions that people are making to focus on the greater good, right? To focus on the bigger picture. There are challenges and adversity that those teams are facing that don't deter them from the biggest goal. And when I look at dysfunctional teams, because I've also worked with many dysfunctional teams, so I'm taking two extremes here, mm -hmm. the, some, the somewhat dysfunctional teams, that, get, like, that gets them, that, that holds them back. Um, the fact that mm -hmm. I, as a team member, might not think that we're going in the right direction or I don't trust people. I mean, there's a lot of components that I could talk about there, but with really, really high thriving teams, it's about, Part of it is about people understanding their role, accepting their role because they know that there's something kind of bigger there for all of them. And it was amazing. I mean, it was amazing to see like on that soccer team to see the 
fifth year um, senior who came back because he was injured um, the year before came back and not play a significant role, but be there lifting the trophy and, and as happy as everybody else, because he felt like he played a role. So that, that would be one example, you know, that I think about that, that I observe them on a day-to-day basis and, and those teams go through challenges. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing is remembering that like really high performing people and groups face adversity. And to me, the thriving, again, like the really, what success looks like is that they, they manage to find opportunities in that. They manage to think about the opportunities in those uh, moments of adversity. And another, another aspect or another example that I'll, I'll just give this kind of quick is, is a study that um, Google did on teams, um, really amazing study. And they were looking at different teams because so much of the work that Google does is through teamwork. So they have small groups of engineers or designers or whatnot, different people that get together. And they came up with, they, they were looking like, what's the difference between good and great? What, what's the difference between some of our teams that are really thriving and doing work at a high level and efficient way? and others that are not. And one of the things that they came back to was this idea that you could be like your, your authentic self. That teams that were really succeeding at a high level or thriving, team members felt like they were being accepted for their full kind of who they were fully, not just as a employer within the organization, but that they could come in and also be like the parents and the sister um, and the, you know, the, the person of color that brings their own experiences into the space or the person that's more educated or less educated and the people within that group accepted them and valued them for those different identities. And I think that's really interesting and important to think about as well as we think of, again, really high kind of thriving um, performing teams or individuals is like that aspect of acceptance, you know, of other people and, and the, the value that other people can have for a group on whatever it is that we're working on. I think that's super interesting. I personally, Stephanie Horowitz, find that super interesting because I studied organizational studies, organizational psychology undergrad, and just this whole thing is my jam and it resonates with me a lot. And I never did it in a sports setting, um, but of course teams are teams and it doesn't matter if it's on the soccer field or in the office or on the airplane working together. And I wanna make sure everyone knows that you were saying you were working with the Georgetown men's soccer team, and that was in your role as the executive director of the Cooper Athletics Leadership Program? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So can so- you, yeah, go for it. You know what I'm going to ask? <laughs> can you share, please, a bit about the work you do at Georgetown? What is student athlete development? And also, why wow, so many questions. Oh, man, oh, man. Also, how did you get there? You know, what led you to take on that role? What were you doing before? Sure. So I've worked in college athletics for 10 years. You know, it was a, it's been a pretty smooth transition. I was a student athlete and then was a graduate assistant at, within an athletic department. Then I got a first job within an athletic department and then have kind of moved within that, within the, the space of college athletics. Currently um, at Georgetown, I'm the executive director of the Cooper 
Athletics Leadership Program. So it's a really, really cool program that supports our student athletes. Um, we have just over 700 student athletes, coaches, and staff members. We support these different groups by creating programs and initiatives that really structure the, the learning and the, the training around leadership development. So we try, we try and kind of meet people where they're at in their own journey in exploring who they are and being curious about what they're interested in and then also in how they operate within systems. So, so again, within teams, within people, um, in their own roles, within their own identities. So within, within universities, you know, for student athletes and for students, it's a really critical, those are critical years that you're trying to figure things out. I'm sure you went through this, even if you're still going through this. I, I think many of us are still going through this, but I think that as a student, like you're still trying to figure out who you are on your own. So with student athletes, there are many different identities that they, that our students have. And part of that is being a student, part of that is being an athlete, um, and then many other identities. So for, for our program, what we do is we have different programs um, within that. We have uh, kind of a portfolio of leadership programs that student athletes can either choose to be part of. So they can, mm-hmm. some of those they can opt into. Some of them are selective where they are nominated or selected for. And then other opportunities that people can just explore again, kind of their interests and their passions as it relates to leadership. Like even exploring that question, like what is leadership to me is a question that we often will start um, our programs with, you know, and get into the nuances of leading other people, leading yourself, leading within a community um, and so forth. How I got to this, how I got to this is, is, is probably similar to the, the way that you introduced me in, in combining passions and interests and, mm-hmm. you know, the way that I just talked a little bit about also thinking about my values. So I've, I've never, I, I would say, you know, I, I never thought that there would be a position that was named this. I was never kind of searching for something that said um, leadership development. I think I always knew that I wanted to be in a position though, that kind of helps other people, that supports other people, that, that connects people with people. And I'm really fortunate that I found an opportunity to do that at Georgetown right now, because I, I just think it's such a blessing, like to be in a position right now, to be in a position where I get to help other people connect with one another and connect with who they are um, as people. It's just, I, to be honest, it's, it's such a cool job. And sometimes when I say to people, like, it's such a cool job that I get to do, it might take away from, like, the hours and hours that you put in that nobody sees mm-hmm. on, like, actually doing the work, like, what, the, what that looks like. But it is. It's so fun. I mean, I, I love reading about this type of work. I, I'm really interested in the way sports is, again, sports and society, how um, right now we're having all of these conversations around social justice and, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I just think that the platform that people have through sports, especially in the United States, but around the world is just really being um, reflected right now with everything that we're seeing with um, Black Lives Matter movement, with um, just recently, um, this week, there was a situation with the MLS and a homophobic slur and just how the team responded to that and kind of people's competencies around diversity, equity, and inclusion, I think is increasing. So I've been fortunate enough to to be able to combine a lot of that and, you know, find, find my own voice through that, which I think is important too. Yeah. And I love how you said that on the one hand, it made sense, your progression of, you know, from the young age of loving soccer, being a student athlete, working 10 years in this college sports world and combining it with how you can help people. But that you said that, oh, growing up, it's not like I was thinking about this position. It's not like, oh, I want to be a doctor, which we know people are doctors and that's something maybe one day we'll grow up to be. 
you didn't necessarily know this was a position that existed, let alone that you would ever have. I'd love to hear more about your day-to-day and what the work looks like and the most satisfying part of it, which maybe, as you said, is watching people blossom into leaders, but I'm curious mm-hmm. to hear more. So my role as, the, as, as an executive director of a leadership program is really, it combines developing curriculum. So, so I'm actually the person writing out curriculum for workshops or programs. So for example, we have a non-credit class that all of our first year students take. It's really about introducing them to different concepts and ideas that relate to leadership development. So if some people know, you know, some of your listeners know like Brittany Brown's ideas around kind of courageous leadership and, um, you know, her book, Dare to Lead or Growth Mindset and, um, you know, some of the, the literature that we have around growth mindset compared to fixed mindset and and the resiliency that people have and the importance of resiliency to performance. And when I say performance, I'm not just talking about athletic performance. I'm talking about like people thriving, being the best that they can be. That's really what I mean when I say performance. So Mm -hmm. the, the work itself is partly that, partly the actual curriculum development, developing workshops and opportunities that our student athletes and coaches and staff take part in. Right now, I, I would say the last three, four months has also been making sure that we are also amplifying kind of the needs that we're seeing within our community related to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And that's work that we've already been doing. Like I I was already doing that work, but making sure that we're really putting a spotlight on some of that work, because I think it's been really important for people to know that when we say leadership development, we're actually saying leadership development with, through a lens of, of social justice, through a lens of hey, how do we create a, a, not just a strong, positive community, but an inclusive community where, people, where all people can thrive. So, so part of it is actually the writing of the curriculum and developing program is actually understanding the needs. So I work with 19 head coaches, over 700 student athletes. You know, we have 29 sport programs. So there's a lot of nuances within sport programs. And then I connect a lot with our campus partners. Um, so a lot of it is conversations, is is trying to identify um, students' needs, is identifying coaches' needs, is understanding what it is that, you know, your people, so like our community, is identifying as a current need and maybe things that we can, we can think about for the future. So we have signature programs, some programs that aren't going to change. Like we're, we're going to do certain programs year by year. That's our, those are our offerings. And then we're also trying to be creative. What, what are some things that like right now during COVID-19 era where, you know, our students are remote, our staff and coaches are remote, where we're not actually competing. Our, our university is not participating in any athletics. Um, what, what are the needs that we have right now that we can support our people? And, and one thing that's been really cool is actually seeing people lean into this kind of moment and say, what is it that I can do? How can I connect? I'd like to make sure that I'm not missing out on opportunities to stay kind of within the system. So we're seeing a lot of student athletes reaching out to us and saying, you know, I think sometimes people feel like too bu- they're so busy of just being busy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that this moment in time, I think it's catching people a little bit differently and people are actually leaning into this kind of discomfort of being away and being disjointed and feeling maybe alone in this. And um, people are, are leaning into that and saying, okay, how do, how do we make sure that we're a really strong community? So it's been pretty cool to see that. But um, I feared a little, <laughs> a little bit away from your question about my day-to-day. So my day-to-day, though, includes a lot of meetings with coaches and students and staff members, internal and then external. So um, within the university, I have really great colleagues within Georgetown that, you know, 
in a lot of different units at Georgetown, and, and we have conversations about a lot of different things that relate to student development, so student needs. We talk a lot about student belonging, like that sense of well-being where people feel like they belong to a place and a space and, and an area. So we talk a lot about that. Part of my role, though, is also as a sport administrator. So I, I serve on our, our senior staff. So we have nine people on our senior staff, and we support the athletic director, who's an amazing person, Lee Reed. And we support the, the athletic department in many different kind of functions. So we meet weekly to discuss and talk about different components as it relates to the athletic department. So that could be anything from kind of health and wellness to finances to different things that come up um, within those sessions. So when I was mentioning men's soccer, I'm actually we have a designation of a sport administrator, some of the sport administrator for our men's soccer um, team and then our men's tennis and our women's tennis teams. When what that means is I'm, I'm the senior staff um, member who's like an administrator, their liaison to anything that they might need. So, so mm-hmm. I serve in kind of a supervisory type role. Um, with those teams. So you're quite busy, Maya. Um, <laughs> oh man, I have so many questions and we're running out of time. So I'm going to try and fireball these, but no, pressure, sure. of course. So right now you said schools are remote. So, and the students are not competing. So there are no practices. There's nothing's going on in terms of physical right. in-person getting together. Yep. It really shows that Georgetown is putting such an emphasis on the student athlete leadership development is this something in a lot of other campuses is this something fairly common on college campuses in the states at least yes more and more places are um, establishing whether it's leadership development programs or career development programs um, and many many universities now are adding roles and designations of uh, some type of diversity, equity, and inclusion role too. So I would say, I I think the support for student athletes for kind of that full being, the holistic development of student athletes is something that is, you know, the center of how a lot of people are thinking about the experiences student athletes are having on campuses. I would Mm -hmm. also say that within the sports industry and professional sports, more and more um, professional sports organizations are adding player development personnel, diversity and inclusion personnel, um, and so forth. So, so I definitely think that people are aware and thinking about all these different areas and components and ways that we can support people in being the, the, the best that they can be. And I think that that's something that in the last 10, 15, 20 years has really changed from a, hey, how, how can someone be the best that they can be on the field or on the court, to then saying, we know that for someone to be the best they need or they can be on the court or the field, we need to make sure that they feel really good about all these other components of their life. So we need to make sure that we're supporting them with understanding financial literacy or having an education around finances or mental health. We're seeing more and more clinicians that are supporting students, student athletes and professional athletes around mental health. So it's definitely an area that that has been growing. Growing, yeah. And investing a lot in it. You never know. It might be an area that you end up finding yourself in, Stephanie. Ah, I can only hope, Maya. (laughs) We're going to continue the conversation offline another day and hash this out more. (laughs) For you, what do you hope to accomplish in the future? What's next on your bucket list of things you hope to accomplish in this field or outside of this field? Yeah, it's, you know... It's an interesting question because I think there's a lot of different ways of answering this. And the, the only way that feels natural to me to answer this is to say that I don't know if there's a specific role that I'm looking for. You no, know, I, I think that 
I've really tried to anchor myself and my values and to think about what is it that, that, that really makes me feel like I'm making a difference or that makes me feel like I'm working with a purpose. And as long to me, as long as I anchor myself in those pieces, there's no path that I'm going to take that's going to be the wrong path. Because even if something feels like uncomfortable to me, I find a way of saying, okay, well, what, what can I learn from this? And how do I, you know, how do I use this to grow? So I, I find kind of comfort in that. Um, but that's been a way that I've thought about a lot of different things. So even when I think of the next five, 10 years, like the immediate thing that I think about is I want to be healthy and I want to be safe and I want my family to be healthy and safe and for people, you know, to kind of find their own voices um, and to be able to be in a position where I support people in doing that. So, so I don't know if I'm thinking of a specific role. You know, I want to be in a position mm-hmm. where I can make a difference. And I'm not sure what that looks like. But I think that if I can anchor myself in those same components, like my values and my purpose and uh, my passions, I, I don't think there's going to be a position that I'm going to go wrong with. And I think that's really good advice for anyone who is listening to this right now, who it might not be the specific role that you need to look for. But as you said, honing in on what you know makes you feel purposeful or that you're making an impact um so I yeah really and, like and you know that. stephanie even in saying that I, I will say that's the that's a certain privilege that you have that you don't always have right so i'm Definitely. in a position right now and and i think it's really important to know given this podcast right and given the questions that you've been curious about and have asked is that you don't always have kind of that privilege to say what is it that i'm passionate about let me follow Absolutely. that path Absolutely. At this point, at this point in time in my life, I have kind of the opportunity to say, okay, the sky is the limit. Where do I want to go with this? But that's because mm-hmm. I've also made some decisions along the way to be able to do that. And at this point, I, I, again, I'm in a position where I can, but like one who knows things change. And then I, if I just need a job, I'm going to get a job because that's what I'm going to need to do. Right. Right. And I might not be able to say, Hey, I'm anchoring myself and my values and I'm going to, you know, take this job. Like the the job market right now is probably the most competitive that it has been in years. Yes. So it, it would be, it would be naive for anybody to also be thinking, okay, I'm going to get whatever it is that like I'm passionate about because yep. the reality is that at times you can do that. And I've been really fortunate. Like I, every day I count my blessings. Like I've been really fortunate for um, the opportunities that I've had and the, the position that I'm in right now at Georgetown, but we're not always in those kind of positions. We can't always necessarily do that. So I think that it's also really important to say, where is the scale right now? Like, what do I need um, right now at this moment in time? And I, I do think that even though then, okay, if I need a job, I'll just, I'll get a job. I'll make sure that financially, because I, you know, I think that for women too, Stephanie, it would be important for me to say this. Like, I think that sometimes we don't talk about money enough, right? Like at the end of the day, mm-hmm. like I want to make sure that I'm financially stable and healthy. Mm-hmm. And that's not always an easy task either right? Like I, I don't want to necessarily um, be scrambling. So Definitely. if I need to get a job, I might put my values and say, or my passions aside and say, well, how can I fulfill my passions in a different way? Like how can I make Definitely. sure that I'm playing into my strengths and do a really good job at that job? You know, I, th- I think that as, as, as I kind of idealistic as it sounds, it also isn't like the reality is that 
there's a lot more there. Like there are a lot more decisions that we make, whether it's to move or not to move, to be close to family, not to be close to family, right? Like I've made a decision and a really tough decision for me. My family's in Israel. So mm-hmm. like, as long as I continue kind of this path of the sports industry in the United States, like that, that I've made a certain decision there about how close or how far I'm going to be to my family. Right. So, so I think that it's important to also consider kind of the decisions that you're making um, given your situation and that sometimes you can make those decisions and sometimes you can't, like sometimes it's not up to you. It's important to, to also be very real with, Kind yes. of the, the process. I'm really, really happy you said all of that. I say amen, amen. You said it perfectly <laughs> and it's so true and it's so important. And we're not always privileged enough to have the option to choose what we're going to do. And it obviously depends on many circumstances. So thank you so much for bringing that up. It's, you said it perfectly. But Maya, you're a star. This was so great. I feel like we could talk for many more hours. Thank you so much for sharing your story and about your path. It was so much fun talking to you. And I know we're going to see lots of more great stuff coming from you. And I hope I can see you in person one day soon. Yes, yes. And Stephanie, this this podcast, you know, when I think of kind of that self-exploration piece, there's an author, um, Ryan Holiday. He's a best-selling author that um, has written some interesting books. One of them is Ego is the Enemy. And um, he said he talks about progress rather than perfection. And when I think of, you know, you in this process, it's really neat to just see what you're compiling and you creating kind of knowledge and content for other people. Like I've listened to um, several of the, the previous podcasts and interviews that you've done. And it's just so amazing to see what you're doing and kind of this path and journey that you're on and um, I appreciate you inviting me to be part of this because this has been really, really fun for me. And I, I appreciate everything that you're doing because I think that while you're, you might be on this journey on, you know, for, for certain reasons, you're also sharing and kind of sharing a gift with everybody else, including me. So thank you. Ah, oh, Maya. Thank you so much. And I'm excited to share this gift coming in two weeks, or I guess whenever anyone hears this, it'll be live. So <laughs> thanks, Maya. Thank you. Hi, everyone few takeaways from the episode with Maya. I love how at the beginning of the episode when I asked her what she does, she doesn't just say a job title, but how she creates a space for people to grow, learn, and explore their passions. I think the way someone answers that kind of question can tell you a lot about how they see their role, their job, and what motivates them. When I asked Maya about her future, I love that she said that she's not necessarily looking for a specific role, but she's anchoring herself in her values. She'll find what makes her feel like she's making a difference, and as long as she anchors herself there, there won't be a path that will be wrong. She'll find a way to learn and grow from it. Maya also said that you don't always have the privilege to decide what you're passionate about and act on it. And sometimes you need a job because you need a job, and that's okay. You might need to look to see how you can fulfill those passions in a different way. So true. And that's it for now.